Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Brad. I'll get us to come all back together. I'm part of the Newtown Gospel community. And let me add my welcome to Anchor Church. It's really great to have you all with us this morning as we continue our journey through Ruth, a refugee story of redemption. This is a beautiful love story filled with risk and redemption, with suffering and kindness. And today, as Matt said, it's boy meets girl. We're going to see the very first meeting of our happy couple of Ruth and Boaz. And it just seems like God's providence They were looking at this on Valentine's Day. And seeing as it's Valentine's Day and we're looking at Boy Meets Girl, I wanted to uh, us this morning to celebrate some of the love stories that are blossoming right here at Anchor Church. Um, But I, I also just wanted to acknowledge that Valentine's Day can be a sad and lonely day for many of us here. I just want to acknowledge that. But we also want to celebrate the love stories that are blossoming here. And I wanted to start with Catherine and myself. Uh, We met in high school. We met in year seven. And from the very start, I thought Catherine was way out of my league. I asked her out in year seven, and it lasted for two days because I I ventured to put my arm around her. And as soon as I did that, she quickly dumped me. She thought I was a player, which I probably was. I went through a string of girlfriends through high school. Um, This photo is on our year 11 camp. We weren't dating at all, but some friends dared ask to pose, pretending we were getting married. And lo and behold, look what we've ended up. We've been married for eight years, still going strong, and we've got two beautiful little children. This is Arnaldo and Catherine Santiago. Uh, They met online, believe it or not, in 2003. Arnaldo was living in New York. Catherine was living in Sydney. Their online chat quickly moved to webcam, which quickly moved to phone calls. And Arnaldo told me that at this stage, they were racking up $2,000 a month in phone bills, keeping this long-distance relationship going. It was only two years later that they met in person, and now they've been married for nine years with three beautiful children. Chris Dobbs and Charlene Lee met at work. They met at a work training seminar and Charlene came in late and just happened to sit next to Chris. And then at the end of the seminar, Chris tapped her on the shoulder and started a conversation. That was the beginning of their friendship and now they're engaged to be married. Beautiful. Isaac and Samantha Viglioni met right here in the factory, believe it or not, when they were 15 years old. Uh, They just happened to be at a gig together and mutual friends introduced them and now they've been married for one year. Congratulations, guys. Matt and Tash Sparks. Don't you love it? Look at at that photo of Matt. (laughs) you just got to put that up just for the photo. We can move on to the next one, can't we? Matt and Tash met on a youth camp. Uh, Matt was the speaker and Tash was one of the youth leaders and they bonded over shared mouth injuries. So Tash had recently had her tongue pierced and Matt had recently been kicked in the mouth at a soccer game and they bonded over a shared bottle of Listerine. Uh, And they've been married for eight years with two beautiful children. Josh and Ash Lynch, they met at a fundraising gig that Ash organised and Josh was in one of the bands. Uh, And over the next three months, they just happened to keep bumping into each other on the train and in the city at various events. Josh told me it seems like God was starting to tell us something as they just kept bumping into each other. And so they decided that they should plan to meet rather than leaving it up to chance. And Josh said that the whole thing felt like we didn't really have much to do with it. It showed us that God was in control and he sometimes just makes plans even though we're not ready for them, we're not aware of them. And finally, Dave... 
Humphreys and Ellen Clark, they met right here at Anchor Church. Yeah. Uh, they met in gospel community and Dave would give Ellen and Sally Conwell a lift home from GC and Ellen said that she was just kind of oblivious to Dave's advances but he eventually got the message across and now they're engaged to be married, getting married in April. We've got some amazing love stories here at Anchor and we want to celebrate them. We want to give thanks to God for the work that he's doing in our marriages, in our relationships. In the love story that we're looking at today, we'll see that it's not fate that brings the couple together. It's not a magical aligning of the stars as Ruth and Boaz meet. Behind it all is the hidden hand of God's providence. So I'm going to pray for us now as we dig into Ruth chapter 2, but I also want to pause and pray for our marriages here on Valentine's Day. At Anchor Church, we want to see families and marriages flourish. We want to see men loving their wives, loving their children. We want to nurture healthy, fun, Jesus-centered marriages that last for a lifetime. So I'm going to pray to that end now. So let's pray together. Father, we do just still our hearts before you this morning. We know that we need your help as we come before your word. And so we ask that you would pierce our hearts, that you'd transform our lives today for live, to live for you in this world. Father, we want to give you thanks and give you all the glory for the healthy, thriving marriages within our church. We also acknowledge that there are some here who are struggling and hurting and doing it tough. And regardless of where we're at, Father, we, we know that we need your grace. We need your grace every single day. And we ask that you would bless us, that you'd provide for our needs, that our marriages would go from strength to strength, that they'd be a beautiful picture of the gospel as we love one another uh, with the love that you have given to us as we consider the needs of each other before our own needs. Father, we pray for the engaged couples here at, at Anchor and ask that as they prepare for marriage, that you'd bless them, that you'd prepare them for a, a lifetime of marriage as they love one another. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going through Ruth chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Uh, the verses will also be on the screen. And we're going to move through, the, as we move through the, the chapter, we're going to move through three scenes. So the first scene is Boaz's field in verses 1 to 3. The second scene is Boaz's kindness to Ruth in verses 4 to 16. And the third scene is Ruth and Naomi's joy in verses 17 to 23. Three scenes. Let's jump in. So last week we met Ruth, the girl in our story, in chapter 1. This week we're introduced to the boy in our love story, Boaz. So have a look at verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz is a worthy man. What does that mean? Well, behind that English word worthy are two Hebrew words and three key ideas. The first idea is strength. It's the word that's used to describe an army or soldiers. Boaz is strong and powerful. He might even be one of the village warriors from Bethlehem. The second idea is wealth. Boaz is rich and powerful. He's a landowner with abundant possessions. And the third idea is character. Boaz is a man of integrity. He's upright. He's above reproach. He's an influential member of his community. Strength, wealth, and character. Boaz is the kind of man that every girl wants and that every guy wants to be like. He's strong, powerful, influential, wealthy, honest, kind, and wise. In this verse, we also learn one other thing about Boaz. He is one of Elimelech's relatives. So there's some connection here between Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. But we'll just have to wait and see what significance that has to the rest of the story. 
But for now, the camera moves from Boaz and focuses in on Ruth in verse 2. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab with nothing. As we learned in chapter 1, Naomi told us that she went away full to Moab and the Lord brought her back empty. Both Naomi and Ruth, their husbands are dead. They don't have anyone to provide for them or to protect them. They are dirt poor. They're probably sleeping in a stable with the animals on the outskirts of Bethlehem. There is no room in the inn for these girls. So Ruth takes matters into her own hands. She's not looking for a handout here. She takes the initiative to go and find work to provide for them. And throughout this whole story, the narrative presents Ruth as very active. She takes extraordinary risks as she steps out in faith throughout the story. And from her example, we learn that faith doesn't just sit back, sit around waiting for food to fall from the sky. Faith gets to work in the world, trusting God to provide for us as we do what we can. So Ruth steps out in faith and she asks permission of Naomi to go and glean in the fields. Glean. What does that mean? Gleaning. Gleaning was the equivalent of the Hebrew social security system. Throughout the scriptures we see that God is concerned for the poor and the needy. And in his law he instructs his people not to reap their fields right to the edge, but to leave the excess for the poor. Let's have a look at this verse in Leviticus 23, verse 22 in the law. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. That's the bits that you miss the first time through. No, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And just an aside here, I want you to think about your fields. Do you reap your field right to the edge? Do you go back and gather the gleaning, seeking 100% profit, 100% productivity from your field? Or do you leave some for the poor? If you budget, do you have generosity in your budget? If you own your own business, are you just thinking about how your business can get 100% productivity? Or are you leaving margin to bless the needy in your local community? Do you leave margin in your life, in your work, in your finances to care for the poor and the needy? Well, the law makes provision for Ruth to go out and glean behind the reapers, to pick up the grain that they miss. Really, all she's doing is picking up the scraps in the field. And this is hard work. She's out there in the sun. She's bending over in the dirt, picking up the grain, standing up, bending over, standing up, bending over. She's carrying a big basket, putting the grain in there. She's out there all day in the hot sun. It's hard work. But it's also potentially dangerous work. Ruth is vulnerable The narrative tells us that she is the Moabite. She's an outsider, a foreigner. She's new to Bethlehem. She doesn't know anyone. She's a widow, a woman, and she's all alone. She is vulnerable. There's the danger that she'll go into a field where she's not welcome. There's the danger that she'll go into a field where she'll get assaulted or raped. And I imagine that while Ruth, full of faith, daring and bold, that she's also terrified. And I want you to imagine being in Ruth's position. Imagine your first day of work. You've got all those normal first day nerves. You don't know what to expect. You don't know who you're going to meet. But then on top of that, there's the added risk that she might be assaulted or raped. She doesn't know if she's going to come home in one piece, let alone come home with grain. What Ruth needs is grace. What she needs is kindness. 
She needs to find favour in someone's eyes. She needs to find a field where she is welcome. She's stepping out in faith here. She's just hoping beyond hope that somewhere out there in Bethlehem is a generous, God-fearing landowner who will make room for the poor. And so in verse 3, Ruth sets out and she goes and gleans in the field after the reapers. And she just happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Well, fancy that. What a coincidence. Ruth happens to find herself in Boaz's field. She doesn't know that she's there, but we do. See, Ruth had no idea where she was going to end up, but she's found herself exactly where she needs to be. Catherine's dad, Gordon, had a stroke in November, and the main symptom was that it affected his eyesight, and he hasn't been able to drive since. And a few weeks ago, he was driving back up to Sydney from the south coast. They were away on holidays. Well, his wife was driving them up to get his eye test to see if, to see if he was cleared to drive or not. Um, and they were driving back to the Blue Mountains to their house, coming up the Hume Highway. And whenever they're coming home from holidays, they always take Norellan Road. You, you imagine where we are in Sydney. We're kind of at Campbelltown. You've got the option to go straight on the M7 or take Norellan Road. They always take Norellan Road, miss the tolls, go straight out towards Penrith. But this time as they were driving, they just felt a strong feeling that they should take the M7. They'd never take the M7, but they just felt that they should take the M7. And so they took the M7. And as they were on the M7, Gordy lost his sight again. And because they were on the M7, it took them straight up towards Blacktown and they were able to quickly go to Westmead Hospital and he was admitted. And while they were in Westmead Hospital, they'd had a really bad experience with their, their old neurologist um, and they met a new neurologist who actually uncovered the underlying cause that was calling, causing all his issues and that was the cause of his stroke. Um, so they just happened to go on the M7 and they just happened to be able to go to Westmead Hospital and they just happened to get in contact with this neurologist who was able to tell them exactly what was going on. Ruth just happened to be in Boaz's field. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, then you might just call this coincidence or chance or luck or maybe you're a bit more superstitious, you call it fate. Or maybe when things happen and just go your way, you put it down to your own hard work because we make our own luck, don't we? But what the Bible calls this is providence. It attributes Ruth happening to find herself in Boaz's field to the sovereign hand of God. Now, it doesn't come straight out and tell us this in the narrative. If you were watching a movie, you wouldn't want a commentary over the top telling you, well, this guy over here, he's the good guy, and this, this is the bad guy, and this, this is why this happens, and this is what's going to happen next. You don't want commentary during a movie, do you? You punch that guy when you're sitting next to him in the cinema. <laughs> See, the narrative, a story is constructed in, constructed in such a way that it tells you all those details much more subtly by suggesting them. And the narrative of Ruth is constructed in such a way that you can't help but see the hidden hand of God's providence guiding Ruth as she gleans. And it's this same hand of God that's behind the everyday events in our lives too. But the thing is, I don't know if you resonate with this, but so often I'm blind to it. I don't expect God to be working in my life. And so when things... Do do go my way, I attribute it to good fortune or my own hard work, not to God. And it's only often looking back in hindsight that I can see God's hand in my life and that I can see how he's been with me every step of the way. One commentator said that 
It's the eyes of faith that are able to perceive the hand of God in these apparent coincidences. I think we need to focus our eyes of faith. We need to remind each other as a church of God's hands in our everyday lives because so often we forget, we're blind to it. And one way that our gospel community is trying to do this, every week uh, we, share, we go around and everyone shares a new thing or a good thing. We call it new and goods. Someone shares something new that's happening in their life or something good that's happening in their life. And the intention of that is for us to pause, lift our eyes out of the mundane and remind each other of God's hand in our lives. We're seeking to identify how he's at work. What is he doing? Seeking to identify evidence of grace and give him thanks and glory for it. As we focus our eyes of faith, we can learn to see God's hand in our everyday lives. We've just got to be looking for it. We've got to be expecting it and praying for it. Scene one. Scene two, Boaz's kindness to Ruth. And the perspective shifts from Ruth back to Boaz. Verse four. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Here we get another insight into Boaz's character. He's not only a man of worth, he is also a man of God. He treats his workers well, he blesses them. This is the kind of boss that we all wish we had. John Piper says, if you want to know a man's relation to God, you need to find out how far God has saturated into the everyday details of his life. Evidently, Boaz was such a God-saturated man that his farming business and his relationship to his employees were shot through with God. What an amazing description of Boaz, a God-saturated man. His farming business was shot through with God. So church, let me ask you this morning, is your life shot through with God? How far down has the gospel saturated into the everyday details of your life? Does it shape how you work? Does it shape how you lead? Does it shape how you love your family? Now, side point here, ladies, if you're looking for a man like Boaz, a man of character, a man who loves Jesus, a good test of character is how a man treats those who are under him. How does he treat his employees? How does he treat waitresses, service staff, cleaners? Is he rude, impatient, ungrateful, entitled? Or does he respect them? Is he interested in their lives? Is he thankful for them and to them? Well, as Boaz is addressing his workers, he notices that he can't help but noticing that there's someone there that he doesn't recognize. There's a young woman with beads of sweat dripping down her Mediterranean skin, breathing heavily, and she's alluring. Verse 5, Boaz said to his young man, who? Whose woman, whose young woman is this? She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And again, we see the incredible industry and work ethic of Ruth here. Now, this is a clutch point in the story. How will Boaz respond to Ruth? Ruth needs a man who is favourable towards her, who will show her kindness. Will Boaz show her kindness? Or will he take advantage of her? Well, let's see in verse 8. Boaz says, Now listen, my daughter, do not go out to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, 
and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz shows Ruth extraordinary kindness. And in four ways, four ways starting with Pete, he gives her permission to glean in his field as the law allows her to do. He gives her a place in his field among his workers. He doesn't want her to go to another field, but urges her to stay close to his young women. He provides for her not only the grain that she'll glean, but also water from his wells. And he protects her. He charges his young men, no doubt the most likely ones to abuse her, not to lay a finger on her. Permission, a place, provision, protection. Ruth is safe in Boaz's field. In response to Boaz's kindness, Ruth falls on her face in verse 10 and bows to the ground saying, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? See, Ruth knows that she doesn't deserve anything. She doesn't belong here. She's a foreigner, a stranger from outside the covenant community of Israel. After her experiences so far, the death of her husband, widowhood, exile, poverty, famine, Boaz's kindness is the first good thing that's happened to her in this story. She's been shown undeserved mercy and blessing. And in response, she expresses humble and heartfelt gratitude. Her physical posture bowing down before Boaz reflects the posture of her heart. Her physical posture reflects the posture of her heart. And this is exactly the same posture that we should have before God. So church, let me ask you this morning, what is the posture of your heart before God? Are you puffed up with pride, thinking somehow you're good enough? That you've done, somehow earned his favor, thinking that God owes you, that you're entitled to his blessings? Or do you see that you are just like Ruth before Boaz? You are poor a refugee, a stranger, an outsider, completely undeserving of grace. See, we see our situation before God in Ephesians 2, verse 12, that we are just like Ruth. Without Christ, we're outside the commonwealth of Israel. We're strangers to the covenants of the promise. We've got no hope. We're without God in the world. But the good news of the gospel in Ephesians 2.13 is that now in Christ, you who once were far off, who were outsiders, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And verse 8 and 9 tells us that this is, this is nothing that we've done. It's a gift of God so that no man may boast before him. This is, that we have, it is by grace that you have been saved, by faith. So what is the posture of your heart this morning? Do you boast before God in how good you are? Or do you humbly receive the grace that he gives you with thanksgiving? Because proud people don't say thanks. Ruth's question to Boaz should echo on all of our lips and on the lips of every person who, have received, who has received the grace of God. What is man that you are mindful of him? Why have I found such favor in your eyes? I don't deserve this. But thank you so much for this indescribable gift. In response to Boaz's question, why have I found favor in your eyes? Boaz replies in verse 11, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Behind Ruth's kindness to Naomi, Boaz sees that Ruth has taken refuge under the wings of the Lord. 
This is an image of a tiny little bird. Fragile, weak, helpless, vulnerable by itself, but safe and secure and steadfast under its mother's wings. It's a picture of trust and security. John Piper says, Refuge in God allowed Ruth to forsake human refuge and give herself to Naomi in love. Costly love is the result and the evidence of taking refuge in God. That's good, isn't it? Costly love is the result and the evidence of taking refuge in God. We learn something important about God here. God is not an employer looking for employees. He is an eagle looking for people to take refuge under his wings. So let me ask you, church, do you see yourself like an employee who has to work hard to please God, to earn his favour? Or do you see yourself as a helpless little birdie who's found refuge in God? You've got nothing to offer him but nothing. Empty hands. Now you might intellectually assent to this, but how far down has this drilled into your heart? This is an area where I need to keep preaching the gospel to myself. See, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and a people pleaser. I've got to get my to-do list done to feel good about myself, to prove myself to others, to live up to my own expectations. And maybe underneath that is that I feel like I've got to prove myself to God, that I've got to work and do well enough to earn his favor, that he's like my boss that gives me a to-do list and I've got to get it done. Do you resonate with this? We've got to stop. We've got to stop all this doing And rest in what has been done for us at the cross. God wants to be our refuge, not our boss. And it's only from this point of finding your rest and refuge in God that you can be free to offer yourself to others in costly love. See, Boaz sees this in Ruth and he's attracted to it. He sees how she's experienced refuge in God and that this has overflowed in costly love in her lives. And so a side point to the, to the guys amongst us. Are you just looking for someone who is hot, for a girl that is hot, or are you looking for godly character like, like Ruth's? Risky faith, costly love, a beautiful character. That, that's what truly makes a beautiful woman. Boaz wishes Ruth every blessing from the Lord in verse 12. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord. Now, I don't know if Boaz realizes it or not, but he is answering his own prayer in this chapter. In Boaz's kindness to Ruth, we see the Lord's kindness to Ruth. Boaz is an instrument of God's kindness. And throughout this scene, his kindness just continues to bubble up and increase and overflow towards Ruth. Look at verse 14. Boaz invites Ruth to eat with him. This is like a CEO inviting the janitor to come up and eat in the boardroom. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Now, I don't know when Ruth's last meal was, but surely this is the first time in a long time that she's had enough food to eat until she was satisfied and then actually to have some left over. On top of the normal meal, Boaz passes Ruth the roasted grain, a special honour. See, Ruth woke up that morning covered with the dust of poverty and now she is eating bread and drinking wine at the head of the table of the richest, kindest, strongest man in Bethlehem. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. God takes us covered with the dust of sin and he brings us into his house to eat at his table, to eat at the feast of God, God's kingdom. He sets us above his servants and gives us special honour. 
None of this is because of anything that we have done, but what he has done for us. Because Jesus' blood has washed us clean and we're clothed in Jesus' righteousness. We have surely experienced abundant grace and favour from God. And in this chapter, Boaz's grace continues to increase towards Ruth. He gives her special privileges among the reapers. He's not content with the manager passing on these instructions, but he tells the servants himself in verse 15, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. See, Boaz wants to ensure Ruth's safety and provision. He's giving her the best of his crop, letting her glean amongst the sheaves and the bundles, not just the dregs and the leftovers. And he strongly urges the reapers, do not touch her, do not reproach her, do not rebuke her. See, God has surely been kind to Ruth in bringing her to the field of Boaz. And maybe, perhaps, under the wings of the Lord, and in the fields of Boaz are one and the same place. And we have our third scene change, Ruth and Naomi's joy. Well, at the end of the day, Ruth beats out what she's gleaned and takes it back to her mother-in-law in the city. And she presents before Naomi a whopping 22 litres of barley. I don't know how she carried that from the field to Bethlehem. That's, that's a strong girl. And she also presents her leftovers from lunch. Imagine that, carrying a big basket of barley and then you've got your plate and leftovers on top. Good balancing act. When the pantry's empty and you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, this is like Ruth has won the lottery. How do you think Naomi would respond? You know, the last we heard from Naomi is that she was bitter and empty. But here in this final scene of the chapter, Naomi's bitterness is transformed to joy. Verse 19. Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Ruth says, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi says, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. See, the remedy for Naomi's hard and bitter heart is experiencing God's abundant grace and kindness. In this last sentence, there's a little bit of ambiguity about whose kindness Naomi is pointing to. Is she talking to Bo about Boaz's kindness or God's kindness? She says, may he, may Boaz be best blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Is she talking about Boaz or the Lord? The ambiguity here is deliberate, for in the kindness of Boaz, we see the Lord's kindness to Ruth. They're one and the same thing. Boaz is the instrument of the kindness of the Lord. And there's two important points to make here. The first is that our kindness and our acts of love point to God's great kindness and God's great act of love at the cross. Our love is a reflection of the gospel, of God's love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This should surely urge us, as Bonhoeffer said, to encounter others as we have been encountered by God. As Christians, we should demonstrate the gospel in our lives. We should be people who show the same love that we have experienced from God to others. And the second point is that God uses human agency to show his kindness to people in the world. As you love someone else, God's hidden hand is at work behind that, showing kindness to that person. Now, earlier this week, I was taking the rubbish out, and at our place... Uh, the bins are kind of around in a side alley. And I went out there with the recycling and there was an Indigenous guy looking through our bins. 
and I walked over and I put the recycling in the bin and I said hi to this guy and he asked me for some money and he said that he needed to get up to Lismore, his family was in Lismore and he was really hungry, he was hungry and tired, I don't know the last time he'd eaten and we had just eaten dinner, I had just finished dinner, I was taking the recycling out, our leftovers were on the stove I said, would you like some food, can I give you some dinner? And so I went back inside and filled out a Tupperware container with mushroom gnocchi and got some cutlery and took it back out to him with some cash. And he was just super thankful. I said, God bless you, thank you so much. And I don't know where he is. I don't know his story. I don't know what he's done with that. But in that small act of kindness, and not at all to boast, but that act of kindness, that act of love points to the gospel. That while I was poor and needy and looking in people's garbage bins for scraps, God showed his incredible love by sending his son Jesus into the world to to feed me, to give me grace. But also in that act of kindness, God is using me to provide for that guy. He needs a meal. He needs some cash to get to Lismore and God is using my meal and my cash to provide for him. Do you see those two things? God uses ordinary people like me, ordinary people like you to show his kindness in the world. Now, as Christians, we should be known for our love, particularly our love for the poor, the needy, the refugee like Ruth, because when we were poor, when we were outsiders, we were shown extraordinary love, extraordinary welcome by God in Jesus. Now, later on this year, we're going to be doing Simple Love again as a church. We've been doing this for the last two years, and this is a program where we provide basic groceries and necessities uh, for refugees and asylum seekers. Churches all across Sydney have been loving the refugees and asylum seekers in this way. And just wanted to flag that this is a great opportunity for us coming up in a few months to show practical love to the needy in our city that points to the gospel but is also used by God to provide for their needs. Now, Naomi says one final thing to Ruth at the end of verse 20. This man, Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Ruth and Naomi have experienced abundant kindness and blessing from the Lord through Boaz in this chapter, but they are still desperately in need of redemption. They cannot survive in the ancient world as widows. They need a home and a family. Redemption is necessary if they are to become anything more than outsiders, if they are truly to belong in Bethlehem. And at this moment in the narrative, we get a hint that something more is expected of Boaz than what he's already shown us. Naomi identifies him as the Redeemer, and that anticipates what's to come for the rest of the book, the redemption that is to come. And so that's where we leave our story this week. Boy meets girl. God's hidden hand of providence and kindness. We've seen lots of blessing, lots of grace, lots of kindness, but we're still waiting for redemption. Now, while we wait for redemption in this story, as Christians, we no longer have to wait for redemption from God. Our Redeemer has come. He has shown us extraordinary kindness in laying down his life for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have life. The hidden hand of God is at work through the gospel, through Jesus' death on the cross to redeem the world. And we come now to a time in our gathering where we celebrate that, where we celebrate the gospel, where we remember the gospel. And the band's going to come up and lead us in a time of worship. But we we also invite you to come forward to join us in the Lord's Supper. There's two stations 
the front of the stage and two stations in the middle of the stage. And as we take the bread, as you come forward, as you feel comfortable, take the bread, which symbolizes Jesus' body, which was broken for us. Dip it in the, the juice, which symbolizes his blood, which was shed for us so that our sins might be forgiven, so that we might be washed clean. And rejoice and celebrate. May your bitterness be transformed to joy. May you, may you celebrate the abundant grace that you have received. We'd also love to pray for anyone out there who needs prayer, either during this time of worship or after the gathering. There'll be some of our prayer team scattered across the back. If you need prayer, if you've been touched by the gospel this morning and you want to respond and put your faith in Christ, now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Please go, go up the back as the Lord leads you and we'd love to pray for you. But if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling sad, if you're hurting this morning, we would love to pray for you and just the prayer is available. So let me pray for us now and we'll join in a time of worship. Father, we do thank you so much for your abundant grace that you sent your son Jesus into this world and that he died on the cross. That though he was rich, he became poor for our sake so that we might become rich and have abundant life in him. And we rejoice. Our bitter hearts now rejoice in the good news of the gospel. And Father, as we worship you now, we want to give you all the glory, all the thanks. We don't want to boast before you, but we want to express our heartfelt gratitude for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.